0: Want to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew? We are in the Sermon on the Mount, and we find ourselves at verse 27. I hope I perked your interest with my sermon title Looking, Lusting, and Going to Hell. Ah, yes. Well, let's read our passage, verse 27, 28, 29, and 30. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Uh, my normal practice is not to is to try and cover a little bit more than four verses that would be my normal practice sometimes i do up to a chapter when we're going through sections of the bible but here i wanted to change a little bit because of the the topic that we're looking at If you know anything about what's going on on the internet, you'll know that um, this subject of looking and lusting has become epidemic in the United States. Um, Prior to the internet being available, um, this issue was somewhat problematic, and you can see Jesus, they even had problems in Jesus' day, because. The first subject he covered beginning of verse 21 was interpersonal relationships and you shall not murder. Second topic is looking and lusting after members of the opposite sex. And so I thought I would take some time on one Sunday to cover this subject. And uh, it's um, an interesting subject and I'm going to try to be Sensitive, non-condemning, encouraging. Yet I have to say at the same time, Jesus' words are pretty strong on this subject. Pretty strong on this subject. And so I thought, well, maybe we need to listen carefully to what the words of Jesus are. I... Asked Rob and he went on the internet and he got me some stats on pornography. Twelve percent of the websites on the internet are pornography. Twelve percent. You know what that it comes up to? That's twenty-four million six hundred and forty four thousand one hundred and seventy two sites on the internet are directed towards pornography. every second over three thousand dollars is spent on downloading pornography every second one out of three porn users are women that means two out of three are men 35 percent of all internet downloads 35 percent that's a third of all internet ponog- uh, downloads are related to pornography. I found this interesting. The state that has the largest number of porn subscriptions is the state of Utah. Hmm. <laughs> That's not a theological statement. I just wanted to just throw that out. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Utah, wow, the average age at which a child first sees porn on the internet, the average age, are you ready, 11, 11 years old. 20% of the men will admit that they've watched porn while at work, 20% men. the least popular day of the year for viewing pornography is Thanksgiving. This is the mind blower. The most popular day of the week for viewing porn is Sunday. So as you can see, the issue of, as Jesus says, looking at a woman with lust in her heart, or in your heart, is a major issue and has been only exasperated by the internet, my friends. And what's going on outside has also infected the church. So I want to take some time this morning to delve into this uh, very difficult subject so that we might understand what Jesus is saying here but also be able to respond to it in a way that honors God. So as your pastor, this is not going to be an easy sermon but I pray that it would be encouraging for each one of us. So, uh, three main thoughts here. I can even get three main points out of just four verses. It's very easy for pastors to always come up with three main points. The reason most pastors do that is because they know that you won't remember anything more than three, so we just limit it to three. So uh, we'll see what goes. First, I want to take a look at the meaning of the seventh commandment. The seventh commandment is in verse 27, and it says, you shall not commit adultery. That is the seventh commandment. And uh, what was being taught by the scribes and the Pharisees at that point was accurate. They said, You shall not commit adultery. Now remember, everything that Jesus says is based in this particular chapter, is based on verse 20. Remember what it said? For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. What was being taught by the religious leaders of Jesus' day was good. But it, Jesus said, it must, your righteousness must surpass that which is being taught. So if you followed what the scribes and the Pharisees would say, you wouldn't make the cut. You wouldn't make it. So Jesus says six times, six times in this chapter, it has been said, you shall not commit adultery in our case here but I say to you. So what has been said is correct as far as the law, but what was happening is they were feeling that they were right with God simply because they hadn't done the physical act. I'm fine. However, Jesus pulls it a little bit tighter and points what was at the very heart of that commandment. So I looked up uh, in Webster's Dictionary, in Webster's Dictionary, the definition for what is adultery. Adultery is voluntary sexual intercourse between one person and another, and they're not married. One is not legally married to that particular person. So that's Webster's Dictionary um, definition. Then I looked up the word in the New Testament, see how it's used in the New Testament. And it is used in that particular instance, that particular act that's described in Webster's. Now, classic examples found in John chapter eight, do you remember? The scribes and the Pharisees brought to Jesus a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery, as Webster defines it. However, the word is also used in the New Testament referring to spiritual adultery. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 22, it talks about people who had once worshipped the God of the Bible, but now are worshipping false gods. And in that case, Jesus says they are committing adultery in the sense they've left their first love, they've left the person, the God that they were made a covenant with and now are worshiping another God. That same concept is also used in the Old Testament. It talks about that. You'll find that repeated, although not the same Greek word. You'll find that same concept when the children of Israel left the worship of Yahweh and now were worshiping false gods. So that's the meaning of the seventh commandment. Let's take a look at the meaning of Jesus' words found in verses 28 and 30. Notice first, Jesus says, but I say to you, but I say to you. Now, by that, he's not invalidating the command. If you look at verse 18 in the same chapter, it says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, Not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. So he's not invalidating the seventh commandment. What he's doing, he's getting rather rather to the heart of the command itself. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now last week when we were talking about the Sixth Commandment, which has to do with murder, I read from Matthew chapter 15 where Jesus had been asked why his disciples didn't ceremonially wash their hands before they ate. And Jesus, in talking to his disciples, said these words. Let me read, this is from Matthew 15, 18. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart And these are the things that defile a person. What comes out of the mouth, that proceeds from the heart. Then in verse 19, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, as we saw last week, adulteries, there we go, fornication, thefts, false witness, and slanders. These are the things which defile a man but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So Jesus gets right to the issue. See, the commandment is good, but it really, really begins in one's heart. And so Jesus goes right to the core issue of what the command is talking about. Now, a question came up as I looked at this text. is what's described in verse 28 as bad as what is described in verse 27, which is the actual physical act. Is lusting in your heart as bad as the actual physical act, which is described in verse 27? And I thought, well, let's see. The consequences seem to be the same. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, Paul writes that adulterers shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? Here in verses 29 and 30, Jesus says it would be better to pluck out your eye than to have your whole body thrown into hell as a consequence of what you're doing. So at least we'd have to say the consequences of doing what's described in verse 28 are as bad as what is described in verse 27. Although, now here's a question I had, I came up with. Well, in the following verses, in verses 30, uh, verses 31 and 32, Jesus says that the only... Um, way you can legitimately divorce a person is if he or her commits adultery. And I thought, well, wait a minute. Can you divorce your wife or your husband if they have committed adultery in your heart? Well, I think you're pushing it on that one. You'd have to, I think you're pushing it on them, but I'll leave that up to the biblical scholars, you guys figure it out. You can correct me after the service. Just, just, I'm just trying to th- think through these things as we work through them. Okay. Now, notice several interesting points about Jesus' words. The first is, notice who he's talking about. Primarily, he's talking about men lusting in their hearts for women. Isn't that a true? Now, some would say, well, that's, he's just using, using it generically, just saying he, but he means people. Well, that's possible, and I think that's true. But also at the same time, I think that primarily, if you looked at some of the stats that I read, you would find primarily it's men who struggle with this particular issue. And I would say, from my own experience in talking and counseling, I would say, "Mm, that's probably accurate. Men are the primarily people who struggle with this issue. But ladies, you're not off the hook. Not at all. Okay, that's the first thing we see. The second thing, now I don't want to give license for sin, but notice what it says. You can look at a woman with lust. Well, does that mean you can look at a woman without lusting and it's okay? Well, I'd have to say that if a very attractive young lady walks past you, uh, you can look at her and appreciate her for who she is. But when you begin to leer and lust, then you've crossed the line. Because Jesus clearly says you're looking with lust. Looking with lust. But I don't want to give you any license for sinning here. Third thing as I looked at this passage is why such a strict standard? Why so strict? I mean, after all, come on, who are you hurting? Uh, In the privacy of your own home, maybe looking on the internet quietly one night, who are you hurting? I mean, it's just you. Or perhaps if um, you're looking at a particular lady as described in verse 28, she doesn't even know, right? I mean, who are you hurting? So the question would be, well, Jesus, certainly just thinking about it, It's got to be not as bad as doing it in verse 27. So, what's the big deal, Jesus? That's an interesting question. I thought about several answers to that question. First of all, someone does know what you're doing. Someone does know what you're doing. And the person who knows is the Lord. It says in Psalm 139, even before a word is on my tongue, the Lord knows my thoughts. Isn't that true? That means, is the Lord really pleased with what you're thinking about? Ask ask yourself that question. Is the Lord happy that he's inhabiting your body if you're a Christian and you're doing what you're doing? Is the Lord happy about that? Mm, I don't think so, not at all. Not at all. Um, So someone knows. Secondly, the real problem is that adultery, what's described in verse 27, starts in the mind and the heart. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 7 says, as a man thinks, So he is. Wow. There's another proverb uh, that probably would be a good memory verse for all of us. It says, this is Proverbs 4.23, says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. So everything flows from your heart, even as Jesus said. And the the writer of Proverbs says, watch over your heart. Keep a guard on your heart, because everything flows from your heart. The classic passage concerning this would be from Jesus' brother, his half-brother. And that's in the book of James, chapter 1. And just let me read this to you. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, but he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away by his own lust. And when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings Fourth, death. Pretty plain there. So the issue really, really begins in our hearts and in our minds and proceeds there from to that which is described in verse 28 to what is described in verse 27. And that's Jesus's point. Now, one might be thinking at this point, well, Pastor Neil, I would never do anything like what is described in verse 27. I would never go against my Lord by doing what's described in verse 27. I would never go against my mate. Really? Well, God bless you. You're a better man than the man described in the Hebrew Scriptures as a man after God's own heart. Why do I say that? Well, a quick reading of 2 Samuel chapter 11 will tell the story of the man who had a heart after God, who not only lusted, committed adultery, and then murdered the lady's husband, and his name was King David. Really, you're much better than him. The scriptures say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. Lest you fall. Now, finally, I wanna note, as serious as this has gotten, get even serious, notice the consequences of what happens as described in verse 29 and 30. A person whose life is that way is going to be thrown into hell. Hmm. He says it twice to emphasize the point. Now, what does he mean here? What does he mean here? Well, I think 1 Corinthians chapter 6 would be helpful at this point. If you want to turn there for just a moment, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul deals with this subject quite openly. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, here we go, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkard, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty plain, isn't it? Pretty plain. Notice, however, that he doesn't say a person who has committed adultery. He says adulterers go to the, will not go into the kingdom of heaven. There's a difference between a person who has committed adultery and a person who is an adulterer. And what's the difference? Verse 11, look at verse 11. But such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. The point Paul is making is It is a lifestyle of adultery. It is a lifestyle of being a homosexual. It's a lifestyle of being an adulterer. It's a lifestyle of being a fornicator that will send you to hell and eliminate you from the kingdom of God. So, if we turn back to our passage, a person who is living the life as described in verse 28 has may I say this carefully, has serious spiritual problem. A serious spiritual problem. Okay. Finally, verses 29 through 30, let's get to the meaning. We've talked about the meaning of the seventh commandment. We've talked about the meaning of Jesus' words. Now we want to talk about the meaning of the way out. Jesus just doesn't leave us hanging there, but he says he gives us a way out. Very simple, but not very comforting. He says, pluck out your eye, your right eye. Cut off your right hand. There, let me close in prayer. Now, obviously, my friends, obviously, my friends, he's not talking about plucking out your eye because you can still look with your left eye. (laughs) He's not talking about cutting your right offhand because you can still work the mouse with your left hand. (laughs) What does he mean? What does he mean? Well, can I make some suggestions? Let me make some suggestions, not from my own heart, but from what the Bible says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this is what Paul says about this particular subject. He's talking about sexual immorality in the previous verses, and then he says, flee immorality. Flee it. And he says why. Flee sexual immorality. For every other sin a man commits is outside his body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Every other sin is outside the body. But this particular sin, now this is where it gets, it's interesting on this interpretation, goes to the very core of your being. This particular drive that God has given us is its at the very core of who we are. And he says, Be very careful how you use this gift. Be very, very careful how you use this gift because it goes to the very core of your being, of who you are. And so, um, just a quick prayer and maybe some help from a brother um, is not enough. Radical attention is needed. Radical attention is needed at this particular problem because it's just not some little problem, but it goes through your very heart of who you are. Two chapters over, Paul says this in 9.27. He says, but I discipline my body. I discipline it and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He disciplines his body. He makes it his slave. I looked at that and I say, how do you do that? How do you do that? Let me tell you a story. But you have to turn to Romans with me. Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. Verse 13. The story begins in the the third century. And in the third century, there was a man called Augustine, or Augustine, however you want to pronounce it. Augustine was a very intelligent man, but he was not a believer. He was involved in a non-Christian cult at that time. His mother was a believer, and she was praying for him. Augustine was an instructor in rhetoric, public speaking. But he also was a very immoral man, sexually immoral. His life was given over to many, many ladies and other different things. One day, a friend of his says, you know, Augustine, there's a guy over at this church. His name is Pastor Jerome. He is a very good speaker. You might want to go and listen to him and you'll really be impressed with his speaking abilities. So Augustine, wanting to perfect his occupation, went to hear Saint Jerome or Pastor Jerome. And he was impressed with what a powerful man this speaker was. But he also was deeply convicted by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the holiness of God. And he was entranced with the promises that came with the true teaching of God's word. But he was now conflicted because he loved his immoral, sexually immoral life. But he was drawn to the beauty and the, and the words of St. Jerome. So one day, he had his New Testament with him. And he was at a party. And in this party, they were beginning to drink and go on. And he pulled away from it and fled into the garden up against the wall. And he sat down at a bench. And he was sitting there so distraught because he loved the life that he had designed and the life of these ladies. And yet at the same time, he loved He began to see the truth of the gospel, and he loved the words of St. Jerome as preaching from the Bible. And as he sat there, some little girls on the other side of the wall, outside the garden, began to sing, take up and read, take up and read. It was a little silly song. And so he opened his New Testament, and the Bible opened to Romans chapter 13. And he looked down and his eyes set on verse 13. And it said, let us behave properly in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its life. It's lust. And it was like the word of God spoke to him. And he put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, from that day on, he made no provision. He cut all of his relationships off. He made no provision for the flesh. And went on to live a life that honored God in every way. Now, you're saying, well, that's an interesting story. But how do I make no provision for the lust of the flesh in this particular area. Good question. I'm going to answer it with my application. First, I have a couple of things to share with you. The first is found in First Corinthians chapter 7. First Corinthians chapter 7. Here is the primary way the primary way that God gives us to guard our lives as married couples. Listen to what the word of God says. But because of immoralities, and he's speaking directly concerning sexual immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. A husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, the wife does. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You guard your life with a healthy, Christ honoring, loving, intimate relationship with your mate. The answer to sexual immorality, according to the Bible, according to the Bible, and listen carefully, my friends, is not cold showers and a workout at the gym. It is having, let me read it again, a healthy, Christ honoring, loving, intimate relationship with the mate that God has given you. That is the guard at the gate to your mind. Now you're saying, well that's just in one portion of scripture. Paul goes again and you can look at it in First Thessalonians chapter four. He says it again twice. So the primary guard that God gives us as married people not to commit what's written in verse 27 and 28 is the marital relationship. We need to pay careful attention to that. Second thing of how we make no provision for the flesh is we occupy your mind. We can... And we must control our minds. Now, think, have you ever had this? Have Just sitting there and you're just being totally innocent. All of a sudden a thought comes into your mind. Has that ever happened to you? Of course it does. It could be a wicked, evil, sensual thought. You have control over your mind. You can gain control of your mind. Second Corinthians 5.10 says that you're to bring every thought to what? The obedience of Christ. So a thought comes in. No, that's not of Christ, and you reject it. You don't think about it. You don't dwell on it. You can, you can control your mind. Ephesians chapter 5 says that we're to sing and praise and lift up songs to God. Psalm 119 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. Thy word have I treasured in my heart, that I might not sin Against you. Philippians 4 8 says, Whatsoever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is good, whatever is of good repute, think on these things. And the God of peace shall guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. We can and we must control our minds. Third, how we can make no provision for the flesh. We're setting up a series of groups to help people. We're using this book, which is a great book. It's called Sexual Sanity for Men. Sexual Sanity for Men. And if you're interested in helping and being involved in that, you can contact Pastor Rob. There are programs that you can put on your computer that protect your computer from... Downloading this kind of material. One of them is called Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes. Another one is called Safe Eyes. Safe Eyes. Another one is X3 Watch. X3 Watch. Now, all of these are good, but it's not enough. And this is my final point. In Romans chapter 8, let me read a passage. It's talking about, if you understand anything about the Bible, Romans 8 is talking about the spirit of God. Romans 8.12 says this, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die but by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All the things that I've talked about need to be empowered by the spirit. It's not something you can do in the flesh, in your own, well, I'm just going to try to be better. You've done that before, and you've still struggled with it. What's the answer? You need a spiritual encounter with the Lord on the par, on the par with what happened with Augustine. You need that kind of experience. You need that kind of experience. And I believe that you can have it. Why do I say that? If you look at Augustine's life and you read his biography, you'll see that he was so devastated by his own immorality. He was so distraught by what he was doing. And he was so hungry for God. He was so hungry for the goodness of God that he drew near to God. Now, what's the promise? What's the promise if we draw near to God? Let me read it to you. This is in the book, once again, of James. James chapter 4. Here we go. God, therefore, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here's the promise. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. How do you do that? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. You have to come to the place all of us have to come to the place where we're devastated that we're finding ourselves over and over again doing what's described in verse 28, whether it's in person or on the, on the internet, on the computer, so devastated by that and so hungry for God that we draw near to him and his promise, his promise, I'll draw near to you. You draw near to me. I'll draw near to you. And that's exactly what St. Augustine did, and that's exactly what changed his life. And he went on to live a life that honored God. May that be true for each man and woman, including yours truly, as we study these scriptures. Please pray with me this morning. I know this has not been an easy uh, message for you to hear. We um, we did a a class for many of the young men about sexual purity. And we, um, Pastor Rob and I and Ryan, were surprised that almost all of our young men at, at one time recently had downloaded pornography either on their phone or the internet. So if it's a problem down in the youth room, it's a problem here in the sanctuary. And so... I could have quickly passed over this, but I wanted to take some time and really speak to you very honestly about this plague that's infecting our church. And not it's just our church, but it's all evangelical Bible-believing churches. And the answer um, is, as I said, not cold showers and and going to the gym. Uh, The answer is found in Heeding the words of God as it applies to our marriage, to our word, and accountability and friendship and strength that's found among the brothers. And so, uh, without any apologies, this has been a very difficult message to give. But I pray that it might be the turning point for many of us who struggle with that particular issue. Because you know you love God. You love God. Of course you do. But you're, you seem to be caught up in this, that you can't get out. There is a way out. There is a way out. And I pray, I pray, that we might hear what the word of God says to each one of us this morning. So, okay. Sermon said that I'm going to pray. Father, we... We want to say that oftentimes, with the way the media is and the internet is, it's so hard to avoid that which we've described here in our passage this morning. But we want to say we understand and we're, we're totally in line with the fact that what we do, as described in verse 28, is dishonoring to you And we understand it's wrong, but it has an allure that is very difficult to break. And so we're asking right now that you would fall on us, that we as a church, as men and women, would draw near to you, even as our dear brother many centuries ago drew near to you and found victory. May that be true for every person here that loves you and who you love and would want to empower them to live a life that honors you and that we can look ourselves in the mirror in the morning and uh, have confidence that you're with us and that what we're doing is pleasing to you rather than being ashamed and distraught at our own actions the night before. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.